With 2,000 copies of his self-published book filling up the kitchen and having quit his job as a lawyer, Robin Sharma probably didn't quite anticipate how his next, also self-published book, was going to land. The monk who sold his Ferrari did more than make it out of the kitchen. It became a worldwide bestseller and launched Robin onto the path to becoming a global leadership and motivational guru. I really don't subscribe to the hustle and grind culture. And I think there there's this entrenched belief system within our society that if you're not being productive, meticulously scheduling every moment of your day, then somehow you, you can't be celebrated as a highly functioning human being. I don't believe that to be the case at all. For this episode of Brilliant Brains with me, Tim Samuels, Robin Sharma, whose latest book, The 5AM Club, doesn't exactly extol the virtues of slobbing around all day in bed. Brilliant Brains is supported by Karmacist, some excellent new supplements for mood, immunity, energy and de-stressing, which frankly I need all of. Karmacist rather cleverly brings to the party Nutrigenomics, a breakthrough branch of science, and ancient herbs like amla, gotu-cola, reishi and saffron. That's some party. So you get the best of what their scientists at Harvard and Stanford have been discovering, together with the know-how of plants we've been using for thousands of years. Check out Karmacist, sort of karma and pharmacist, at karmacist.com for some fabulous formulations for mood, immunity, energy and de-stressing, which come in some rather lovely jars too. And you can get a lovely 10% off by entering the word brilliant at checkout. Right, back to Robin Sharma. You talk a lot about the, the 5am club, that, that sort of time of day when leaders of business and gurus get up and, and, and sort of plan their destiny in the day ahead. But can I, can I proffer the 5pm club to you, which is you wake up late with very low serotonin. You struggle to get out of bed. By, by midday, if you've, if you've answered a couple of emails, that's a win. You have a big lunch, a kind of lull in the afternoon. And by 5pm, you're just about ready to try and salvage the day. That that would seem to me a, a slightly sort of less orthodox approach. Um, is, is that one you might consider? You know, you put a smile on my face when, when, when you, you suggested, Tim. The great thing about all human life is we all can choose how we wish to live. So whether someone wants to get up at 5 a.m. and run the 2020-20 formula I talk about in the book, and they want to accelerate their productivity and magnify their creativity, that's fine. And if someone wants to take a nap or lead the day the way they wish and sort of just follow their own rhythms or not be very productive, I think I think that's equally fine. I don't I really don't subscribe to the hustle and grind culture. And I think there there's this entrenched belief system within our society that if you're not being productive, if you're And this might sound contrarian for someone who's written the 5am club, but if you're not up early, if you're not productive, if you're not meticulously scheduling every moment of your day, then somehow you, you can't be celebrated as a highly functioning human being. I don't believe that to be the case at all. You know, I think it's a very, actually, it's almost a very Western belief. If you look in the East, they very much celebrate just being versus being humans doing. I've looked at some of these, uh, regimes that successful people have and there are very few who who roll out of bed at 10 o'clock and I, I just sort of wonder whether you know there does seem to be I, mean, I did some research there, there is a genetic disposition 
to whether you're a morning or a night person. And that, you know, I think it's a polymorphism on, on the period three gene or something like that, which affects it. I don't think I've got the gene to be a morning person, but do you, is it something which comes naturally to you? Do you burst out of bed full of, full of life? Well, you know, I, I've read that research as well, and it is very fascinating. What I wonder about that research is, Tim, just think how many people on the planet, for religious reasons, rise with the sun. I mean, I, I can't imagine every one of those people have those early morning genes. How about all the military people? They rise early, they go do their exercise, et cetera, et cetera. So look, I respect science. I'm Before I went into law school, I was a biologist. Having said that, I really believe in <clears throat> neuroplasticity. I really believe in the human ability to adapt to new environments. You know, Charles Darwin gave us the, the whole theory of evolution. That was based on the ability to adapt to changing environments. And so I think each one of us has the ability to train ourselves to get up early, just like we can train ourselves to be better runners, just like we can train ourselves to increase our memory. If you look at the, the research of University College London, they found that any human being can do something for 66 days, approximately. And once they do that new skill for 66 days, they meet the beginnings of automaticity where it becomes easier to do the new habit or skill than not to do the new habit or skill. Look, I've got up early most of my life. It's been an absolute needle mover for me in terms of creativity and productivity and also peacefulness. We can get into that, spirituality. Yet I must be completely honest with you, as I always wish to be, which is in the 5M Club book, I talk about the twin cycles of elite performance. So right now I'm working on this book, this new book, and I'm very much in creative, productive mode. But once I get this book done, I will rest more. I will watch more Netflix. I will, you know, eat more carbs because then I go into that lower creative cycle. And I think to create sustained creativity and productivity, it's really important to have those on cycles and off cycles. Mm, fascinating. I mean, I guess what I might need is, is 66 days of either believing in God, uh, having, having a kind of <laughs> a sergeant major towering over me. Or possibly I was thinking getting a dog, you know, the threat of an animal pooing in my lounge if I don't get out of bed <laughs> could, 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 could tip me over there. But, it, but it, there is that sense, you, you say, though, of when you're up in that kind of pre-dawn moment where you have, I guess, sort of heightened intuition, heightened moods, heightened sense of creativity. There's no question. I'm starting to become a pretty big fan of M.F. Hussain, the legendary Indian painter. I was once at the Taj Hotel in Mumbai, and I saw this gentleman with a cane walking down the hallway barefoot. And I said, Who, who's this you know, fascinating person? And the, the gentleman I was with said, that's M.F. Hussain and his artworks all over this hotel. So as I read more about his life, I, I realized he got up at 5 a.m., just like Nelson Mandela did and so many great poets, authors, etc. And he rose with the sun to do his painting. And he said, after five hours, I loaf, which was sort of what I was suggesting, you know, those twin cycles. But I do think that many of these great painters, many of these great humanitarians, many great authors, many great business builders, you know, Michelle Obama, uh, you know, a stateswoman, you have Howard Schultz of Starbucks. These people all get up before the sun for, I believe, a specific reason. And 
I believe you have a fascination with science. Well, there's some relatively recent research about a mechanism being discovered by neuroscientists where the brain, while we sleep, washes itself. So I believe that when you get up first thing in the morning while the rest of the world is asleep, your brain is actually cleaner. Your, your spirit and your subconscious mind is more available to being impressed and being influenced. And that's why so many monks, so many sages, so many seers got up at this time of the day. I, I would actually guess there would be something about the tides that would influence our ability to read a holy book or read a biography or pray or meditate or visualize and to have that inner work be more influential to upgrading who we were through the day just because we're during that we're up during that time of greatest quietude, especially in this age of incredible digital distraction. Okay, I do feel motivated to give it a go. But um, Robert, on a bigger level, there's no doubt a lot of, well, all of us have been going through uh, a really challenging period, um, humanity as a whole, I mean, kind of unprecedented in recent times. And I think a lot of people have been thinking about having a personal reset, you know, come the other side of this. You know, this has been a, a time of, of introspection, of reflection, of, of, of kind of valuing what's important to you and what's not, and perhaps sort of plotting a new chapter, you know, embracing the opportunity of that. I'd like you to sort of talk us through perhaps what the steps might be for that. And maybe sort of beginning in terms of what are some of the what some of the baggage that we might need to throw out, you know, perhaps some of the attachments or beliefs or habits. What a brilliant question. Um... I, I'd love I'd love more time to really think it through to give you a, a great answer, but you know I will I will say Tim, we're all struggling right now because whether you've lost your job or a family member in this in this plague, we all are connected as a human species, and so we're all facing collective trauma, and so if you if we weren't feeling disrupted. If we weren't craving more carbs because of the more the higher cortisol, and then there's just massive disruption. It's not only the uh, the, the pandemic; it's the incredible uh, economic disruption, and all the money printing, and then the environmental, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, the <clears throat> there always is a benefit in any difficult time. Uh, my dad always talks about the lotus. You know, it grows in the dirtiest of waters, but it's one of the most beautiful of flowers. And I think it's important, as simple as it sounds, for us to reach towards hope and optimism. And one of the benefits of this difficult time clearly is what you're calling this reset. So what would be some habits or some methods to help us find our way through it? Journaling is incredible for me. I get up in the morning and I just love to free flow journal about how I'm feeling, where my inclinations are, and in my ideal life, where I'd like to be a, a year from now. And I find that process really frees me up and builds a high amount of awareness. Secondly, getting a mentor is incredibly valuable. So through this all, I've been on the phone with one of my mentors once a month. And we just, you know, I just tell him where I'm at and I ask him for advice and he helps me get through it. I love to read. So I think I call it the 60-minute student. Every evening, I try to read for one hour, and that gives me a lot of tactical and philosophical ideas. And then to shift to something a bit more metaphysical, prayer is very helpful to me. Meditation is very helpful to me. The final thing I'd say is, you know, life is too short not to take any risks. 
the thing about great turbulence and upheaval is it takes away our foundations. And it could look like a very groundless place to be, but I think that's when you have lost the ground from beneath you is when you stand in the highest possibility. What, what do you think the other big shackles are, which perhaps keep us in that, that state where we, we don't take the kind of big, bold actions? Oh, there's a bunch of them. First of all, the fear of what would people think? How much creativity, energy, authenticity do we lose because, well, if I went and wrote the screenplay, if I went and lived in Jamaica or Bali or Mumbai, what would people think? So we live our lives worrying about what people would think. Big shackle. Another shackle, materialism, right? We, we get the big mortgage or we get the big lease for, you know, on the apartment or we buy the car, we get the handbags, we buy the watches and we dig, dig this grave of debt buying things we really don't want or need and that actually don't give us any real psychic joy. And then we have to work at the job because we haven't learned the art of frugality. And, and as simple as it sounds, but it's, you know, it's just living beneath your means and get, deriving your access of power from who you are versus your power from what you have, I think is, is, is very important. So, so materialism becomes a big shackle. And then, you know what? Success becomes a huge shackle because that's why I love J.D. Salinger, for example. At the height of his success, he checks out. You know, I watched this documentary on, I think it was Netflix or iTunes, um, Steve McQueen. It's called McQueen. At the height of his success, when he was the most famous movie star in the world, he left Hollywood and went out to Idaho and lived on a farm. So I think success is a real shackle because it's, you know, you say, oh, I'm successful rather than going blue ocean and taking risks and being an adventurer. We fall into this shackle or trap of, well, I'm an author and I'm a successful author, so I must continue to be an author. And we start defending what we've built versus staying on the offense of being more creative and more adventurous. Okay, did you know that saffron is pound for pound more expensive than gold? More impressively, and frankly usefully for me, in clinical trials, saffron has been shown to raise levels of serotonin, the happy hormone. As luck would have it, Karmacist, who sponsored this podcast, feature a patented form of pure saffron in their mood formulation, which is what gets my gloomy backside out of bed in the morning. Go to karmacist.com for your mood-boosting saffron. So zooming back again to kind of look at, I guess, sort of society and where we're at, you know, we're living in this kind of advanced capitalist age. On the one hand, you know, you're saying it's, it's good to kind of shed our consumerism and, and shed those attachments and, and, and not be, you know, sort of boxed in by the material things that we crave or think that we crave. But do you, that's a lot to do when every day you're being hammered by message after message saying you need this or you need that because capitalism ultimately rests on breathing a dissatisfaction so you go out and you buy something. (laughs) Do you think we're sort of just ultimately locked into a way of living? What you mentioned about capitalism, I sort of come at it from a different way. I don't know if the job of capitalism is to get us so addicted to materialism that we buy things. I mean, to, to me, and this is one man's thoughts on it, but I, I find 
capitalism, and I know it might not be very popular anymore, especially in this day and age, but I think about the farmer and I think about the, the two farmers with the plots next door. And one of the farmers is working and working and tilling the soil and, you know, is up early and, you know, does his or her work with great love and care and invests their energy in it and, you know, learns all the latest methodologies and through his or her work earns a great bounty. To me, that's just natural justice. And, and I'm not talking about the people who take too much or whatever, but I'm, from what little I know about capitalism, it seems to me that if one works hard, you can enjoy the fruits of your labor. And to, to me, that seems to be a very fair thing, to reward people who learn, who take initiative, who, who build, who, who add value to the marketplace and to communities in an ethical way. It seems to be a very fair way to reward people. Now, you might suggest, what about the people who take too much, et cetera? And, and I, we're on the same page. But I don't know if the fundamental basis of capitalism is to addict people to materialism. Who was it? What, wasn't it Oscar Wilde or Groucho Marx who said everything in, moder everything in moderation, even moderation? And, and I, I, like, I, I just love, I think it was Aristotle, the middle way. I just think it's a great way to live life. Like, you know, I fast, but once a week I have my chocolate croissants. And what I'm trying to say is when it comes to capitalism, I think like a middle ground is what resonates most with me, which is I think people who work hard and innovate and add value should be rewarded, but people who are struggling, et cetera, should also be cared for as well. And I think if we could find some middle ground, it would be wonderful. Um, and, and that's what feels most just to me. But I, I, I also really wish to say that we all have power, Tim. We, we, if the very story of leadership, the very story of greatness has been people who were born into difficult situations, who through learning and through sure some luck, but they used their heroic native tendencies and developed them into building a great business. Like if you look at if if you look at a lot of the great industrialists, many of them, I mean it, the founder of um Amantio Amantio Ortega, Zara, I think he came from a poor family. And it just goes on and on. You look at a lot of the great artists, you look at a lot of the great scientists, they came from nothing. So there's got to be some way to ensure social mobility, but also encourage people to own their own creativity and to apply it in the direction of something that inspires them that also helps the world become a better place. Is there anywhere kind of off the beaten track when you think, actually, I could live here. You know, this has got a very different pace, a different way of living. This is inspiring. I'm challenging myself a lot these days, and I don't know how, like, you're just taking me to places I usually don't talk about. I usually don't talk about you know, capitalism or politics or whatever, but, you know, I want to, I want to live my life as truly and lively as possible. And I've been, I'm going into my, getting close to my 30th year in this field of writing and giving presentations. And through the pandemic, I've learned how to cook better. And I can make a pretty great bucatini alimone now. 
And I'm, I'm really falling in love with cooking. So off the beaten track, part of me is thinking, maybe I'm going to open up a restaurant, a little restaurant someday. There are places I'm thinking about living. You know, I love the, I love Puglia. I don't know if you've been into the south of Italy. I'm very open to, to living in these places. And I'm very open to simplifying my life even more, which I think would be a pretty, pretty fun way to live. Mm. I mean, and on that note, Robin, we, we sort of like to wrap with um, a couple of quick fire questions. And, and one is, if we made you global dictator and your mission was to raise people's level of happiness, as we've been discussing, let me give this to you in two parts. If you're running a city, what would you do to that city to lift the community and make it happy? And then what would you do on a kind of global level? What, you, know, you can do anything you want, but your mission is to, is to raise the net level of happiness. <laughs> I would um, make uh, two tra- two pan au chocolat every Saturday morning mandatory. <laughs> now, seriously, I would say I would actually focus on education and I would help people understand how to the, the neuroscience of cognitive optimization. I would help people understand how they can be more creative. I would show people the science of elite productivity. I would help people develop a great morning routine. I would help people get healthier and teach people and make that mandatory. So we start understanding how powerful we truly are at a mindset, heart set, health set, soul set level. I'd also, you know, I'm getting more, have you seen um, Sir David Attenborough's documentary? On, on climate change? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's worth watching. Yeah. It's, it's scary and it's beautiful, but I would, I would do my part to really upgrade our environment you know that would be really very important to me and um yeah those are some of the, the, the things that come to mind maybe last thing i would say is you know i would do whatever would be you know i, I would get people away from this addiction to technology i think social media is a great servant and i think it's a it's a tyrannical master and I think it's really hurt us a lot. It's I think it's hurt our creativity. I think it's hurt our human connections. And I think it's caused us to be less human and more like cyber zombies. And, and Robin, who's your, who's your brilliant brain? Who do you most look up to, get inspired by? I've had some great mentors. There was a judge I clerked for when I was a young man who really shaped me. His name uh, was Chief Justice Clark. I, uh, my, my great f- grade five history teacher, Cora Greenaway. I, you know, after she passed away, I realized I learned she went, as a young woman she was, she was actually Tim in the Dutch Resistance, and she would go under enemy lines to save children. And my father, he's uh, 83 years old. He's the philosopher in the family. He was 54 years as a family doctor, and he just keeps on sprinkling this stardust of wisdom and good ideas in my life, even to this day. And I can't let you go without telling me. What's going to be on the menu at, at, at Robin's restaurant in Puglia? Uh, you know, I'm going to be one of those restaurants. That, have you ever eaten at uh, L'Entrecote in Paris? Or there's one in London. There's only one thing on the menu. I would probably only have two dishes. One would be cacio pepe, which is this incredible Italian dish with pecorino cheese, pepper, and uh, yeah, and pasta. And the second one would be bucatini al limone, which is my 
which is bucatini, lemon zest, lemon, olive oil, and pecorino cheese. And I keep it simple so so I get really good at it. I think I think Italy's calling. I, I can hear it in the background. Robin Sharma, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for your time, Tim. Thanks to Robin Sharma. To hear all 12 episodes of Brilliant Brains, including The Biggest Loser's Gillian Michaels, reveal the psychology of lasting weight loss and the impact of losing contact with her father, go to karmacist.com slash podcast, home of our sponsor. Thanks also to Nature Boy for the music and producer Tess Davidson. From me, Tim Samuels, that's this episode of Brilliant Brains. Brilliant Brains.